0: Before we get started with the word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you again and again for so many things you've done in our life. Lord, as we take a look and we start this, this new series this morning, Lord, I want to thank you for speaking this word into my heart. Lord, I want to thank you for giving this word to the people here in the church. Lord, for those listening over podcast. Lord, I pray that as we examine the life of Ruth, as we look into the book of Ruth, And we look at the story of redemption, Lord, that it would speak deeply to us. Lord, that we would understand and know what it is you've done for us. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The last uh, more than a few weeks, we've been doing the series Profiles in Courage. We're actually, it's it's not a new series, but continuing on in that series with a profile in redemption. I want to focus this morning on Ruth. When we focus on Ruth, we're going to introduce some names to you this morning. Some, some of the names are fun names, some are hard names, some are interesting names. We're going to introduce some names to you this morning. If you want to stand with me for the reading of the first scripture, go ahead and pull that up and please stand. And we honor the reading of the word of the Lord and it says this, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The, w- the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of the Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. You may be seated. We are introduced, firstly, to the man named Elimelech. I like the name. Say it with me. Say Elimelech. He was a man from Israel, specifically Bethlehem. His wife's name was Naomi. Naomi's not a very difficult name, but Elimelech is a little bit different. Say it with me, Elimelech. It was during the time of the judges. Tradition holds that the writer of the book of Ruth was one of the last judges of Israel, the prophet Samuel. So here's what happens. They leave Bethlehem. And they go to Moab. Why do they leave? They leave because there was a famine. You have to understand something about Moab. Israel was the place that God had called them. Moab was where they were going. What was so special about Moab? First of all, we want to know this. Moab was a country that was ruled by evil. If we look at ancient history and we look at what was happening back in this time, Moab was a country that was ruled by evil. The main gods in the country of Moab were named Molech, but he was also known by the name Chemosh. Molech, also known as Chemosh. And we need to understand this. And why is that? Because of this. This is what one commentary says in reference to Moab. The priests of Moab were powerful and cruel. They served an assortment of gods, but the most feared was Chemosh. Why was he feared? Chemosh had his terrible place built on a platform of movable stones under which great fires would be kindled. Chemosh's lap was constructed so that when children were placed on his red-hot coals, they would roll down an inclined plane into his belly. This was the God they served. It took child sacrifices. His name was Chemosh. They served him. Another one of the gods that they served was a fertility God, where the women had to go into the temple and do immoral things with the priestess there so that they could gain, uh, so that they could, could gain favor. This is where Elimelech is going. This is where he, he's leaving Judah. he's leaving Bethlehem, he's leaving Israel to go to Moab. To get there. It's not an easy journey. It's not just across the way. It's not just across the street or 20 minutes down the road. To get there, he has to hike through the desolate Jericho Pass. He has to go through the Judean wilderness near the Dead Sea. He has to go across the Jordan River just to even get into the land of Moab. There was a famine in his homeland. Why did he leave? There was a famine. There was a famine. Things got tough. They decided the grass had to be greener on the other side. How many ever been there? Things get tough in your life and decide the grass has to be greener somewhere else. So he packs up his family and they go. Not all moved. Not everybody in Israel moved. Not everybody in Bethlehem moved. Not everybody in Judah moved. But, but this family did. Elimelech's family did. They were determined to find better. Now, I want you to keep something in mind. The land that they were moving away from was Israel. This is the land that God had promised them. This is the land that their ancestors had waited for. They were going out. This is the land they had come out of the wilderness for. And now here was Elimelech leaving the promised land and going back into the wilderness. Things were hard. Things were difficult. But were they hard enough for him to leave where God had brought them? It's interesting. The name Elimelech. That name Elimelech means God is king. God is king. But he wasn't really living as if God was his king. He wasn't living as if he was was waiting on God to provide for him and, and he was having faith and trust that the Lord would provide like he always has. He wasn't living as if God was king, but his name meant God is king. You say, well, Pastor David, they had to leave. I mean, they had to survive, right? There was a famine in the land. They had to leave. It's interesting, God specifically promised that there would always be plenty in the land of Israel if it was obedient. Did you know that? God promised that there would always be plenty in the land of Israel if it was obedient. Therefore, if there was a famine in the land, it meant that there, as a nation they were not being obedient to God. A lack of, the lack of provision was of their own making. The lack of provision was of their own making. There's so many times in our life where we go, man, God, I just, I don't know what's going on. I just, I just, I got a string of bad luck. It just, it just must be, you know, just the way things are. I go for a job interview and I get messed up. Now I'm I'm working on this and it fails and I work on this and it fails and I do this and it fails. And you might want to take a look and saying, am I being honoring to God? In my life, have I brought blessing upon my life or am I bringing cursing upon my life by whether or not I honor God? The Israelites, of course, at this time were not being obedient to God. The lack of provision was their own making. And so now Elimelech isn't just looking for better. He's looking for better outside of God's provision. How many have been there before? I've been there. I'm not just looking for better. You know, Lord, I know that this is what you've called me to. Lord, I know this is where I'm supposed to be, but there's, I see greener grass over there. Lord, I know that this is where I'm supposed to be. I know that this is, my, this is the job I'm supposed to be in. I know these are the people I'm supposed to minister to, but over there I get a dollar more an hour. And so I better go, because the grass is greener over there. I'm not just looking for something better. I'm looking for something better outside of God's provision. When I step outside of God's provision, it will never be better. You might get paid more, but all of a sudden taxes come, and now you owe more, right? Gary, you know what I'm saying. He leaned over to Bobby and said, that's right. (laughs) It will cost them. Go to the next slide. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. He went outside of God's provision. He went outside of God's blessing. He moved the family to Moab, and he dies. And she was left with her and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, which, by the way, was forbidden, (laughs) which, by the way, they weren't supposed to be doing. But they took wives of the women of Moab. The one was named Orpah. Say, Orpah. The other was named Ruth, say Ruth, and they dwelt there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and her husband. Elimelech has died. We're not sure why. We also don't know how long they were in Moab when he died, but he's dead. We're over it. He's dead, Okay. That's how it goes. But I want to I point this out. Go back to that first slide a second. It says this. I want to point this out because this is important. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. You say, Pastor David, what's the big deal? In one translation, it doesn't say to dwell in the land of Moab. It says this. They went to sojourn. In the land of Moab. That word sojourn. It's kind of a cool word. Sojourn means this. To go with the intent of coming back. To leave with the intent of returning. Well, God, you know, this is where it starts to hit home. I'm just going to tell you right now. This is where it starts to hit home. Well, God, you know, I know that I'm supposed to, I know that you've called me to be at this church. I know you've called me to be in this town, but I'm going to go just a little while. I'm going to leave just a little bit. Don't worry, Lord, I'll be back. Don't worry, God, I'll be back to church one day. I'll be back to where I need to be one day. But, God, let me just have some time on my own for a while. Let me just go out on my own for a while. Let me just find my own provisions for a while. Lord, I don't need to be under your protection anymore. And so you leave the provision and protection of God to go and do your own thing with the intention of returning. How many have been there? How many have been there? Come on. I've been there. You leave with the intention of returning. It starts with disobedience. It starts with just doing our own thing. Lord, I know I'm supposed to be in church on Sunday, but man, I'm so tired. I was up partying all night. I don't party. (laughs) It's weird for me to say that. I don't party. I, I don't know. Barbecue. I don't know. <laughs> Lord, I, I, was all, I was just tired. I don't need to go to church this week. You know what? Next week comes along. Man, I'm, I'm so ready to go to church Sunday morning. Saturday night. Oh, man. I didn't get hardly any sleep. I get to sleep in. Then next week, oh, I I, I keep meaning to go. I keep meaning to get there. I keep meaning to honor my promises. I keep meaning to get back to what God's called me to do. I keep meaning to get back to the Bible. I keep meaning to get back to prayer. I keep meaning to get back to my Christian life. But for some reason, I find myself away from God's provision. I find myself away from God's promises. And even though my intention was to return someday, while my intention was to return, the reality is that I died while I was out from under his protection and his promises. Elimelech meant to return someday. He meant to return someday. Lord, someday we'll get back to your the, to land. Well, someday we'll get back to your promise. Someday we'll get back to your protection. But that day never came. Instead, he died. Go to the next slide. And go to the one after. We have here three women. Naomi married Elimelech. Naomi had two sons. Their names were Malon and Chilion. At this point in the story, Naomi becomes the the center of the narrative. She has the two sons, Malon. Malon, just in case you wondered, Malon is who marries Ruth. Malon marries Ruth. Then you have Chilion. I like that name. I don't know, uh, Braxton, Brittany, Chilion, great name. Bryce, Rachel, Chilion, great name. right? Amen? Makes you think of food? There's nothing wrong with that. Chilion marries a woman named Orpah. Say Orpah. Now, just an interesting side note. Do you happen to know of a famous talk show host who is named after Orpa? Anybody? Oprah. It's actually not her actual real name is Orpa. Oprah's real name is Orpa. She was born Orpa, but nobody could pronounce it correctly, so they called her o- Oprah. A little trivia for you, just in case you're ever on Jeopardy, and you need to know, she was born Orpa. <laughs> They're married ten years. Ruth is married to Malon for 10 years and Orpa is married to Chilion for 10 years and then they die too. So let's take stock of where we're at. Naomi is living in Moab. She has no husband. She has no sons. Her daughters-in-law are childless. She is childless. We are looking at three childless widows. Three childless widows. To be a childless widow when I was doing... My research, I came across this description. To be a childless widow was to be among the lowest, most disadvantaged classes in the ancient world. There was no one to support you. You had to live off the generosity of strangers. Naomi had no family in Moab and no one else to help her. It was a desperate situation. So she had to do something. So she did this. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. What she heard was that there was provision now in the land that they had come from. She heard there was provision now, now there's there's growth, now there's opportunity, now God's promises have returned, so now we're going to return back there. They decide to leave the land of Moab. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. She gets the word that something good is happening now. Something good has happened in Judah. Something good is happening in Israel. There's provisions there. They make the journey back home. And along the way, this happens. Go ahead. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go and return to each your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Naomi, Naomi is blessing her daughters. Naomi is blessing her daughter's-in-law. She's saying, you know what? You you shouldn't come with me. You don't know anybody where I am. You have family here. You should go to your mother's house. Stay there. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. You dealt kindly with my husbands or with my sons. You dealt kindly with my husband. You dealt kindly with me. You have dealt kindly. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. Naomi was a great mother-in-law. Naomi was a phenomenal mother-in-law. It seemed that there's zero doubt that there's great love here. There's zero doubt. They might not be blood, but they were family. Amen? How many have a good mother-in-law? Uh-oh. How many have a good mother-in-law? I'm going to start preaching on forgiveness in about two seconds. How many have a good mother-in-law? Doug, you (laughs) better. They were family. They lifted up their voices and they wept. There was sorrow here. They were sorrowful. She was a good mother-in-law. Now, I want to talk to you about the difference between Scripture and tradition. We might not always find it in Scripture, but tradition will maybe tell us a little bit about what happened during this time. Tradition says that they weren't very far outside of Moab when Naomi says this. They're not very far outside of Moab when she says, return to your mother's house. This is what tradition says. Tradition tells us that they are possibly four or so miles outside of Moab. Tradition tells us that, that she's thinking of them. Two childless Moabite women in a strange land. In fact, they would probably be better off without her. But she was a good mother-in-law. A very good mother-in-law. And because she was such a good mother-in-law, here's how they respond. Go to the next slide. It says this. And they say to her, surely we will return with you to your people. Surely will return to you with your people. Naomi then launches into sort of a diatribe about why they're wrong. Just like a mother-in-law probably would. Amen. Good. Nobody said amen. That's good. God bless you guys. <laughs> My mother-in-law is not here today, so <laughs> I love you, honey. <laughs> Naomi launches into this. <laughs> Naomi launches into the reasons they should leave. She makes a a pretty compelling argument. She says this. Go to the next slide. She says this. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Who will go with Why will you go with me? And this is what she says. She kind of makes some interesting imagery here. Are there still sons in my womb that they might be your husbands? Yeah. (laughs) Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should bear sons, will you wait for them till they're grown? I mean, if I got, if, if I got married and pregnant tomorrow, are you going to wait for my sons, sons to get older and marry them too? Well, she knows the answer, of course not. Would you then restrain yourselves from having husbands? She's saying you don't need to, I mean, you can get married again. Your husbands have died. Are you going to restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters. It grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. This is what Naomi says. Naomi makes this incredible statement. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. How many times have we made that statement? Man, it seems like just the world is against us. It must be, we must be the enemies of God right now. The hand of the Lord has come out against me. But this isn't a statement of bitterness. This isn't a a statement made in bitterness. This is a statement made in fact. This is a statement made in fact. She understood her relationship with God right now was on a rocky road. She understood this. I like what one commentary says. She knew that she had done wrong. This obviously weighed heavily on Naomi's heart and mind. She felt the calamity which came upon her family because they were disobedient, probably in leaving the promised land and marrying their sons to Moabite women. Perhaps she felt guilty. Perhaps she was the one who pushed her husband to move out of Israel. Perhaps she was the one who pushed her sons to marry. Despite this feeling, Naomi is going back to the land of Israel, but going back to the land of her God Though she felt the hand of the Lord had gone out against her, instead of going away from him, she returned to him in repentance, knowing that the answer is always drawing closer to him, not going further away from him. Knowing that the answer is always drawing closer to him, not going further away from him. She's made the effective argument, I'm not going to have children anytime soon. I can't get married. I'm not going to have sons. And even if I was able to have sons, you're not going to be waiting for my sons. Go and marry. Find new husbands. She's made the effective argument. She's going back to her home, and they should go to theirs. What happens next, and this is not an overstatement, I promise you. What happens next will forever impact history. Forever impact history. These next few moments in Scripture will be in effect for generations even until today. Even until today. We're going to get into that later in the message. I promise you. But for now, let's just take a look at what happens. It says this. Go to the next slide. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. There was sorrow. There was tears, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her, and she, or Naomi, said this, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Orpah and Ruth. Let's talk about them. They both loved Naomi, clearly. Clearly, they both loved Naomi. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. The wording there, the description of Orpah, it would mean this, that if you're saying goodbye to your mother-in-law, that she would have kissed her on her head and turned and walked away. That she would have given her a goodbye She would have given her a hug. She would have cried some tears. She would have kissed her head lovingly. But eventually turns and walks away. On the other side of the equation, we have Ruth. Ruth is clinging to Naomi. Ruth is not letting go of Naomi. One author wrote this. Ruth and Orpah both made the same decision. They would go with Naomi. It looks as though both Ruth and Orpah were converts. When we get to the end of the story, however, we discover that this is not so. I want you to listen carefully to this. It happens thousands of times under the stress of overwhelming circumstance, in the heat of revival, or under the urging of a faithful evangelist. Numbers of people come forward. But that does not mean that they are saved. They come and they will kiss the cross. They will respond to the word. They will come and they will hug the cross. But soon, they will leave. Instead of Ruth who clings to the cross. She clung to Naomi. Some people will come and in the heat of revival or under the what it says here is when an evangelist calls and now you respond to emotion. And so people will come forward and they'll say a prayer. They'll, they'll kiss the cross. They'll, they'll come with joy. They'll come believing. But soon they will leave. Some may make a profession of faith and take initial steps towards the promised land, but we have all seen, and all have in such their 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 souls aroused, their souls are awakened, their souls are lifted, there's intellectual responses to the gospel, emotional responses to appeals. But just like Orpah, who went back to Moab. We went back to the demon gods of her people, people back to her old way of life, and back to a lost eternity. Orpah pictures for us those whose souls have been roused, but who have never really been saved. Many people turn back their professions of faith unsupported by the evidence of their lives. This is tough. Many people turn back. Their professions of faith unsupported by the evidence of their lives. Jesus speaks about these people. Do you know that? Jesus speaks about these people in Matthew chapter 13. It's not going to be on the PowerPoint, but I'm, I'm going to tell you about it. It's the parable of the sower. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower. And he says this, that some seed is received by the wayside and it's not understood. Some seed is received with joy, but they have no root and it only endures for a while. Then it says this, that some seed is received among thorns and the cares of this world choke it out. But for some, the seed falls on good ground. They hear the word. They understand the word. The seed grows and bears fruit. Orpah clearly loves Naomi. Clearly she loves Naomi. She starts to follow after Naomi, but when pushed, she goes back to her people and back to their evil. She kisses her mother-in-law and walks away. But Ruth clings to Naomi and says these words. Go ahead and just pull up the next slide. It should pop up. And says these words. Don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. And where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. Man, that's powerful. Man, that's powerful. Your people are my people, and your God is my God. This is where she is now fully converted. She is now fully on board with the God of Israel. She is fully on board with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She is fully on board. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die, and that's where I'll be buried. So help me God, not even death itself can come between us. Not even death itself can come between us. My question to you simply is this. What is your relationship with Christ this morning? Is it the relationship of, of Orpah? You c- came to the cross and you responded to, to a plea. You responded to the evangelist. You responded to, well, please come, get saved, receive Jesus. And you came and, and, and the, seed, the seed fell, but pretty soon the hardship of life came. You, you kissed the cross. You loved the cross. You were, had joy in the cross. But soon the cares of this world took over. And the seed was choked out. Or were you like Ruth? When you came to the cross, you came and clung to the cross. Now it doesn't matter. God, you are my God. Where you go, I'll go. By God's name, I, I will die before I leave you. Not even death can come between me and you is that who what is our relationship like with with Christ this morning? Ruth makes the declaration that she will not be ignored. Her heels are dug in she's made the decision she won 't go the route of Orpah. Ruth with grit and determination. Clinging to her mother-in-law makes it clear that she is resolute and unwavering. I love the description of what happens next. I, just, I love how the Bible speaks. and says this. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Have you ever been there? I'm there with my kids. This isn't. This, sometimes I'm there with my kids. Sometimes they just dig their heels in. This isn't. This isn't saying Naomi stopped. Like actually stopped speaking to her. She just stopped the conversation. Okay. The conver- It's settled. There's no. There's no reason to even talk about it anymore. Right, Carrie? <laughs> it's settled. She's going with me no matter what. We don't have to have a conversation about it anymore. When she saw that she was determined, how many, how many have a, a, a kid or, or a friend or when you're having a discussion and you know that they just, they've made their decision, I mean, you're not going to change their mind no matter what you say. You can talk till you're blue in the face and it's not going to change their mind, right? No use even talking about it anymore. They've made their decision. That's how it is here. She stopped speaking to her. It's to say this, the conversation ended. The conversation ended. Ruth was determined. She was unwavering. She was relentless. She was resolute. Naomi wasn't giving her the silent treatment. She just realized her arguments were useless. Ruth was going with her. It says this. Go to the next slide. Now, the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? I want you to think, when you think of Bethlehem, sometimes we, we have a different uh, image in our mind of what it actually was. Bethlehem was essentially just a large village. What a large village. It was about the size of maybe, I don't know, Estherville. It's just a large village. When you left, people knew that you left. When, when you came back, people knew that you came back. Ten years, I mean, it could have been 10, 15 years. We're not sure of the timeline. But around that time, and now Naomi comes back, and they look and say, is this Naomi? Naomi, is that you? Right, Will? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he's good. I love that kid. He's a great. Is this Naomi? And she says this. Go to the next one. But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The name Naomi means pleasant. It means pleasant. The name Naomi meant that she was blessed by God. It's the way people refer to themselves. It's the way that she said, I don't want people to see me as blessed by God. Again, this isn't bitterness. This is her understanding that she had committed wrong against God, and now God was bitter towards her. And so she literally says, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter. Not because I'm bitter, because I understand where I'm at with God. I'm not blaming God for all of my problems. She makes it very clear. she, She says this, I went out full, and the Lord brought me home empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Naomi was very aware of her relationship with God. I like what this says. I'm going to read this to you. She wasn't going home to pretend everything was fine. She wasn't returning to her, to her village to, to everything is fine. I, I'm just going to put on a happy face. I remember when I was a child. How many ever rode in a station wagon? How many ever rode in the back of the station wagon facing back reverse? No seat belts, because back then you didn't need them. All right? If you uh, if your head went through a window, you deserved it. This is how it goes. So we're in the back of the station wagon. We got oh, there's nine kids in my family. And most of them are piled into the station wagon. We're what? Praise the Lord. So we're in the back of the station wagon, we're there, and we're just, I mean, we're tight. And we're trying to draw our little invisible security line so our brothers and sisters won't touch us. It's not working. And we're going to church. And we're going to church and and we are just fighting like cats and dogs. I mean, it's 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 a bunch of kids and we're just going at each other's throats. And you got mom yelling in the car, mom, if you're listening to this on podcast, you know it's true, it's just how it goes. She's yelling at us, and Phil, you better tell those kids to shut up. And, and I promise you, if my dad stops, my dad, I'm going to stop the car. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to do something. I mean, this is, this is how it was every Sunday. Praise the Lord, we're going to church. <laughs> Come on. And our church lied at the bottom of a hill. And for us to, it was the bottom of a highway, actually, but it was a hill to us. And for us to get there, we had to go over this, this overpass. We had to go up the hill, and I remember every Sunday, every Sunday, we get to the bottom of that hill, and my dad would say, we're going over the hill, put your smiles on, come on, come on, we can't let anybody know we got problems, we can't let, we can't let anybody know we got issues, right, Bob? We can't, we can't be transparent with everybody. We can't be honest with anybody. Naomi's not doing that here. She's not going up the hill and, well, better put that smile on. Come on. We are so used to being fake with people around us. We're afraid to be real and honest and transparent with people around us. We go up over the hill and we paste our smile on because that's what everybody expects to see. And so instead of being transparent and real and honest where we can gain healing and and powerful grace and transformation, we just paint on our smiles and put on our masks and go one Sunday after the next and the next and the next, when this is a place of healing and power and grace, amen? Naomi wasn't doing this. She was going to be honest. Her years in Moab were tragic. She lost her husband and her sons, but she didn't blame it on bad luck. She didn't say this is just bad luck. She said, no, I have gone against the promises of God. I have left God's promise. But now I'm back. She says, but now I'm back. And now she's humbled. Don't call my name pleasant. Call me bitter because it's how the Lord is dealing with me. I like how one pastor puts it. He says this, not everyone reacts to trials the same way Naomi did. Many are humbled, but they're not humble. Many are humbled, but they're not humble. Many are lowly, but they're not low. These have lost the fruit of their afflictions and are therefore the most miserable. I love that wording. I love that wording. The fruit of their afflictions. Finding joy through the suffering. You may have gone through some stuff, but if you let it, it will help you grow. Right? One pastor says it this way. Sometimes God will sneak in the strength you've been praying for in your life through sorrow in your life. Sometimes God will sneak in the strength you've been praying for in your life through sorrow in your life. It's only when you're tested you know how strong you are. Come on, right? I mean, if I'm not tested, I can say I'm as strong as an ox. If I'm not tested, I can say, well, yeah, I can lift that... I know what's a lot, 1,000 pounds? If I'm not tested, but once I'm tested, that's when you find out just how strong somebody is. When you're tested, that's how you find out just how strong they are in their faith with Christ. When they're tested, that's how you find out are they staying in the boat or are they walking out on the water? When they're tested, that's when you find out are they just kissing the cross and walking away or are they clinging to my Savior? When they're tested, when they're pushed, when they're told, no, just go back to your own town. Go back to your old demons. Go back to your mother. Go back to where it's comfortable. Oh, I'll just, I'll just kiss the cross and I'm just going to walk away. No, I'm going to cling to the cross because that's where my promise is. That's where his presence is. That's where his grace is. That's where I need him. That's where I'm tested. That's where there's sorrow. That's where there's fruit. That's where there's the fruit of the afflictions. Sometimes you get the strength you've been praying for through the sorrow that happens to you. Ruth, in chapter 1, verse 22, says this. So Naomi returned. And Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And here we are at the beginning of the barley harvest. They have left Moab. They have arrived in Bethlehem. It's just before the harvest. And we see exactly what's going to happen next time. Please stand with me this morning. Next week, just so you all know, Dan Winkowitz is going to be ministering. I'm going to be gone for a little while. And just pray, pray that I'll be ministering too as well. But this, this morning, man, you know, as I was researching this message and I was praying over this message, I just, I got so stuck on Orpah and Ruth. I just, I mean, I got stuck on just, man, one kisses her mother-in-law and just walks away but the other clung to her. Are we clinging to the cross this morning? Are we clinging to God's promises? Where you go, I'll go. I will not let death separate us. I mean, truly, are we clinging to the cross this morning? I got so stuck on this. There's so many people that come up and they'll hug the cross and they'll kiss the cross and and they'll shake some hands and have a few smiles, but then they're going back to their own. And they're lost. challenge you this morning to really examine where am I in my relationship to Christ I want to challenge you this morning in this week in this month as as you leave here as I pray that these words would, would just be branded into your spirit that they would be branded into your soul am I clinging to the cross when people look at my life, do they see someone who's clung to the cross, or someone who's just kissed it and walked away? Lord, I pray over each person here this morning. Lord, I pray that the very presence that your very presence would just wash all over them, that they would just feel your presence when they when they leave here in their cars, at the restaurant, when they go to their homes. Lord that they would feel your presence. Lord, there's some people right now who are in the country of Moab in their lives. They have left God's promises. They have left your provision and they're going and just doing their own thing. They have an intention to return someday. They're they're, they're I mean, they're going to get back someday. But right now they're just out there and they're lost. And just like Elimelech, it might be too late, except you have an opportunity to come back to him today. You have an opportunity to come back to his promises and come back to his provisions, come back to his salvation. I don't want there to be any confusion this morning. I'm not going to call for an altar call. I'm not going to say that people should come forward and and under, under the emotion of an evangelist say you need to come. I'm saying within your own lives, examine where you're at in your heart with God. Examine where you're at in your relationship with God and then change it in Jesus' name. Do something about it. Respond to his cross. Respond to his mercy. Cling to his cross. Don't just kiss it and walk away. Lord, I pray over each person here. Lord, I thank you for the family that we have in this building. Lord, I thank you that we can love on each other. Lord, that we can be honest and transparent with each other. That we don't have to put on the smile or put on the mask. Lord, I pray that we would be honest with each other and revealing with each other. Lord, that you would bring us healing in our lives. Lord, that you would bring us grace to our lives. Lord, that you would bring us redemption in our lives. Lord, I pray over each person here, Lord, that you would bless them, Lord, that you would keep them. God, that you would cause your face to shine down upon them, and Lord, that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen.